with me in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 1. And this time as we turn there, we're going to dismiss our children to Children's Church. So if you have little kids who are pre-K up through third grade, you can meet in the back for Children's Church. Well, last week we started a brand new sermon series on the book of Galatians. And I originally thought about calling it, Knock It Off! Stop it! Pay attention! But instead we're calling it, Gospel Reset. I think all of us, like the Galatians, have a tendency to lose focus. We have a tendency to take our eyes off the main thing, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so Paul's burden in the book of Galatians is to point us all back to that gospel, that we might live and move and have our being in Christ, that we might find our joy and our satisfaction and our wholeness in him. So this book is a very unique book because it is all about the gospel. It's about resetting and refocusing on him. We're going to give our attention this morning to verses 6 through 10, but since we're really close to the beginning, I thought we'd back up and read verse 1 to just kind of get our feet on the ground here. We'll read verses 1 through 10 of Galatians chapter 1. This is God's word. Paul, an apostle, Not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. And all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed." As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one that you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant or slave of Christ. This is God's word. Let's go to him in prayer. Oh, Lord, our God, what a remarkable text. What a remarkable gospel. Lord, give us great joy in our salvation and turn our hearts and our minds to Jesus as we study your word. We pray in his name. Amen. When I was a little kid, my dad was also my pastor. And so I listened to my dad preach sermons week after week for years and years of my life. Well, one week, my dad was preaching the gospel, and he was really feeling it. He got as close to unction as you can get as a Presbyterian. Uh, He was preaching and teaching, and the sermon was getting a little bit long. And so, my little sister, who was about six years old at the time, stood up in the front row, and she said, Amen, Daddy! Amen! Now, she said that because when you say amen, that means the sermon is over. (laughs) 
amen is usually the last word. The prayer is over, the meal is over, it's time to get in the car and drive home. Well, for Paul, the sermon was just getting started. For Paul, the amen of verse 5 was just the beginning of a six-chapter sermon on the gospel of Jesus Christ. After quickly identifying himself and then uh, pronouncing a blessing of grace and peace upon the Galatians through Jesus who gave himself for our sins, Paul immediately rebukes the Galatians for abandoning the true gospel of Jesus Christ, for another gospel, a false gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Verse 6, I am astonished. Do you know what the word astonished means in Greek? It means astonished. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and turning to a different gospel, not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Here's the background. Fifteen years after the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ, Fifteen years after Paul met Jesus on the road to Damascus, gave his life to Christ, and became a Christian, the Apostle Paul planted a series of churches in a Roman province, the province of Galatia. He planted them during his first missionary journey. You can read all about that in Acts chapter 13 and 14. Now, at first, the churches that Paul had planted in the region of Galatia were doing very well. They were growing, they were thriving, people were getting baptized, people were getting saved. The Galatians loved people. The Galatians loved Jesus. The Galatians believed the gospel of Jesus Christ, that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Then, a group of people known as the Judaizers arrived. The Judaizers were a group of Jewish Christians who preached a Jesus plus gospel. They said, essentially, Jesus is not enough. In order to become a Christian, you must first become a Jew. You have to be circumcised. You have to prepare kosher meals for your family. You have to celebrate all the Jewish feasts and Jewish festivals. You can't simply believe in Jesus. That's too easy. Anybody can do that. Now, the Galatians should not have bought what the Judaizers were selling, but they did. They embraced a counterfeit gospel. They embraced a works-based system of salvation. And in so doing, they abandoned the God who called them by the grace of Christ. Do you see why Paul is so astonished here? This is, is not a minor disagreement. This is not one of those issues where Christians can agree to disagree. As Christians, there are a lot of things where we can agree to disagree. We can agree to disagree about musical styles. We can agree to disagree about speaking in tongues. We can agree to disagree about how to organize a church and how to govern a church with elders and deacons. This isn't one of those issues. This is a gospel issue. 
This is a salvation issue. This is a hell and heaven issue. There is a true gospel and there is a false gospel. If you believe the true gospel, you will be saved. If you believe a false gospel, you will be eternally condemned. And so the question is, how do we know the difference? How do we know the difference between the true gospel, which gives life, and a false gospel, which brings death? How do we distinguish between the true gospel of Jesus Christ and the many false gospels that we encounter each and every day? It's often very difficult to know the difference because false teachers rarely identify themselves. The false teachers in Galatia didn't say, Hello, Galatians, we are false teachers. We would like to preach to you another gospel, a gospel that will separate you from Christ, a gospel that will uh, ruin your life, a gospel that will lead you down the path of destruction. What time does church start? And are we required to wear masks in the service? We really need to know. False teachers who preach false gospels fool people because their message looks and sounds a lot like the real thing. They offer you Jesus, but there are some strings attached. Instead of preaching good news, they offer you good advice. That's almost the same thing, isn't it? According to Paul, the answer is absolutely not. It's not even close. When we believe the true gospel of Jesus Christ, when we say amen to the real gospel of Jesus Christ, everything changes. If you're taking notes this morning, here's the outline. We're going to walk our way through these verses, particularly verses 6 through 10, and we're going to look at six things that happen to you when you say amen to the true gospel of Jesus Christ. When you say amen to the true gospel of Jesus Christ, not a false gospel, first, you get the power of God. Second, you get the grace of God. Third, you get intimacy with God. Fourth, you get the peace of God. Fifth, you get the wisdom of God. And finally, sixth, you get the freedom of God. That's the list. Power, grace, intimacy, peace, wisdom, and freedom. The gospel is absolutely amazing. The gospel will revolutionize your life and your understanding of of the world and of God. It is good news. Let's take a closer look. We begin with the power. When you say amen to Jesus, to the true gospel of Jesus Christ, you get the power of God. Verse 6, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you. Pastor Tim Keller, one of my favorite pastor theologians, makes an interesting point here about the, the word calling. When God calls, there's power. When God calls, things start to happen. God's calling is effectual. In other words, God spoke all of creation into into existence. God said, let there be light, and instantly there was light. God spoke to Lazarus, Lazarus, his friend. He said to Lazarus, 
come out of the tomb. And immediately, Lazarus came walking out of the tomb. The calling of God is effectual and powerful. It accomplishes what it says. God's word and calling is also irresistible. When Jesus called the very first disciples, he said, come and follow me, and they did. They left everything. The ones, Matthew, the tax collector, left his tax booth, went and followed Jesus. Peter, James, John, the fishermen, they left their nets behind. They left their father behind, their family. They went and followed Jesus. Our words are not like that. Our words do not have that same kind of power. We cannot simply declare something into existence. People can absolutely resist the things that we say. So, for example, if anyone has ever said to you, or if you have ever said to little people living in your house, dinner is ready, often what you will hear in return is, I'll be there in five minutes, which may or may not be true. Sometimes when I stand up in this pulpit and I ask you to please turn in your mission cards, you tell me, maybe next year. See, I do not have the power of God in my speech, which is why, by the way, we preach God's word here. At Pinewoods Church, we major on God's word and we minor on everything else, our opinions, our speculations, our occasional 80s movies references. All of that is on the back burner compared to the word of God, which is living and active and powerful. So what Paul is saying to the Galatians is, God intervened in your life. God knocked you off balance. You were spiritually dead, and now you're spiritually alive. You've been converted. You've been born again. Thomas Chalmers, Thomas Chalmers who is a 19th century American Presbyterian, observed, called this, the expulsive power of new affections. Jesus called it the new birth. When you say amen to Jesus, it's like an explosion goes off in your life. You begin to speak differently. You begin to think differently. You begin to see the world differently. And other people begin to see you differently. Just this past week, I was meeting with some guys, and they were talking about how one of them had come to faith. And when he did, someone who he knew before he came to faith met him again after he had come to faith, and he said, something is different about you. Something has changed. And then my friend, who had become a Christian, explained to him the gospel of Jesus Christ. But the point is, when you say amen to Jesus, when you believe the true gospel of Jesus Christ, it's like a power comes into your life. The Holy Spirit comes into your life. Have you experienced the power of God? Have you experienced the power of conversion? Have you experienced the power of new life and new birth? Has God intervened in your life? Has he wrestled you to the ground? You know, that's what he did with Jacob in the Old Testament. The word Israel means he wrestles with God. God will take hold of us and he will wrestle us to the ground. 
That's what happens when we say amen to Jesus. The power of God comes into our life. Here's the second thing. Grace. When we say amen to the true gospel of Jesus Christ, the grace of God comes into our life. Verse 6. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ. Grace is God's unmerited favor. Grace is God not giving us what we deserve. Grace is God giving us what only Jesus deserves. All the love, all the mercy, all the peace, all the security. Now here's the question. Were the false, false teachers saying you don't need God's grace? Was that their message? Well, no, they weren't really saying that. They claimed to be preaching the gospel. They claimed to be Christians. They claimed to be believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, their argument was, we are more Christian than Paul. Paul has yet to embrace the deeper understanding of the gospel that we've said. But according to Paul, they were doing something much more subtle and consequently much more deadly. They were adding a little poison pill to their gospel presentation. Verse 7, not that there is another gospel, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Jesus Christ. Most of the commentators observed that that word, distort, could actually be translated reverse. They were distorting the gospel of Jesus Christ by reversing the gospel of Jesus Christ. They were putting good works before grace. Or we might say they were putting sanctification, the process by which we become more and more like Jesus, before justification which is the declaration of God that we are just in his sight because of what Jesus has done for us. They said, essentially, if you keep the rules, if you're faithful, if you're obedient, if you're religious, then God will love you and will accept you into his kingdom. Paul's saying, that's not how it works. To be a Christian is to embrace the idea that grace comes first. The gospel is good news precisely because God loves sinners. The gospel is good news because Jesus justifies the ungodly. The gospel is good news because God doesn't give us what we deserve. Now, does that mean that we, we are not to do good works? That good works have no part in the Christian life? No, of course not. In our Sunday school time together, we're studying the book of James, James, and the book of James, the whole message is that good works will not save you, but there is no such thing as saving faith which is not accompanied by good works. In other words, the Christian life is a life of gratitude. When you see how much grace God has given you, when you see how deeply and radically and profoundly you have been forgiven, then the grace of God will overflow in your heart to other people in lives of gratitude and love and mercy and peace. First comes grace, then comes gratitude. First comes done, 
then comes due. Do you see the difference? It's very subtle, but if you miss it, you will reverse the order and you will miss the gospel of Jesus Christ. You will miss the grace of, of Christ. The gospel is good news because grace is a gift from God. The third thing is intimacy. When you say amen to Jesus, you get intimacy with God. When the gospel comes into your life, you get him. You get a personal relationship with God. Verse 6. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him. When you put works before grace, when you say the good people go to heaven and the bad people go to hell, when you say that Jesus isn't enough, when you believe a Jesus plus gospel, you don't lose a philosophy, you don't just lose a moral code or a religion, you lose a relationship with the living God. When you put works before grace, then God becomes essentially your business partner. He does his part, you do your part, but you don't really have a relationship with him. It's a transaction. I give you the money, you give me the groceries. You see? You do you, your part, I do my part, and it's an exchange. Now, sadly, I think a lot of people have that kind of relationship with God. Not only outside the church, but definitely within the church as well. For a lot of people, uh, a relationship with God is really a self-interested exchange. God gets my good works, my obedience, 10% of my income, maybe an hour on Sunday, once or twice a month, and I get to go to heaven when I die. I buy the ticket, I go for the ride. Christianity is so much more than that. It's so much deeper than that. It's so much more profound than that. When you get the gospel, you get him. You get a father who loves you. You get a fighter who will fight for you. You get a comforter who will one day wipe every tear from every eye. Intimacy with God changes absolutely everything, and it's possible because of the gospel. It is possible because on the cross, Jesus dealt with the one thing that separates us from God. On the cross, Jesus dealt with our sin. On the cross, Jesus removed the curse that hung over us from the very dawn of creation when Adam and Eve rejected God and decided to be their own gods apart from God. Jesus crucified that part of our sinful nature, and now it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. He washed us, and we are clean. My sin Oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh my soul. The fourth thing is peace. When you say amen to Jesus, you get the peace of God. Verse 7, there are some who trouble you. 
False teaching always troubles the church. False teaching always divides people into factions and groups. Sometimes that division is ideological, sometimes it's racial, sometimes it's economical, but false teaching always sows seeds of disharmony, division, dissentment, and and discord. The gospel brings people together. The gospel says your identity is in Christ. My political beliefs as right as I think that I am, do not define me. My race does not define me. My gender does not define me. My class does not define me. My occupation does not define me. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. Listen to how how Paul applies the gospel to these areas of division in Galatians chapter 3. Listen to what he says about the peace of God. Galatians 3, 27 and 28. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male or female, for you are all one in Christ. In other words, if I am in Christ and you are in Christ, then we are in Christ and we are a family. We live in a very divided world, a very sectarian world, a world where we sort of separate off into tribes and groups. And sadly, I think it's getting more and more like that every single day. But we do not have to accept the world as it is. We do not have to accept racism and sexism and division and classism and all of these divisions. We are people of the cross. We are people of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The same gospel that unites us to Jesus unites us with one another. False gospels, works gospels, performance gospels, self-esteem gospels, prosperity gospels drive people apart. The true gospel brings people together. The fifth thing is wisdom. When you say amen to Jesus, you get the wisdom of God. Verse 8, but even if we, the apostles, the missionaries, the pastors, or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one that we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one that you received, let him be accursed. One of the great questions in life is, how do we know what we know? The philosophers call it, epistemology. How do we know what we know? Well, in traditional cultures, we have a tendency to look to authority figures. We look to people with credentials, people with certifications, people with age, people with experience. We look to people like the Apostle Paul. In the church, church, we look to elders and deacons and pastors 
in non-traditional cultures, we look towards experience. We follow our hearts. We follow our instincts. In non-traditional cultures, postmodern cultures, emotional appeals have more currency than logic or facts. Which is why most politicians know you have to have a good slogan. Hope and change. Make America great again. Those things rally people to support your cause. If you try to explain to someone marginal tax rates and why one should be higher or lower than the rest, no one will ever vote for you because emotions carry the day. So the question is, who's right? Are the traditional cultures right when we say we must appeal to authority? Are postmodern, non-traditional cultures correct when we say we must appeal to experience? Paul says, none of the above. It's not about authority, and it's not about experience. It's about the gospel. Does my message line up and accord with the gospel of Jesus Christ? If so, it's true. If not, it is false. If I, the Apostle Paul, the living embodiment of authority and tradition, preach a different gospel to you, don't listen. If an angel from heaven, the living embodiment of an extraordinary experience, preaches a different gospel to you, do not listen. Listen, I love Michael Landon as much as the next guy. I love Della Reese as much as the next guy. But you better listen to that angel's sermon with a Bible in your hand, my friend, because you need to make sure that what that person is saying aligns, aligns with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? Because the gospel is the ultimate measure of truth. Jesus is the wisdom of God. Paul says as much in 1 Corinthians 1, for those who are called, that's the power, both Jews and Greeks, that's the unity, that's the peace. Christ is the wisdom of God. And what's amazing about the gospel is the wisdom of God is that the gospel turns the world's wisdom absolutely upside down. The gospel says the strong are weak and the weak are strong. The gospel says the way up is down and the way down is up. The rich are poor and the poor are rich. Insiders are outsiders and outsiders are insiders. And anyone can be saved because grace is priceless and grace is free. Do you see? The, God, the wisdom of God turns everything upside down. When you say amen to Jesus, when you say amen to the true gospel of Jesus Christ, you get the wisdom of God. Sixth thing, last thing, is freedom. When you say amen to the gospel of Jesus Christ, you get the freedom of God. Verse 10. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant or slave, doulos, of Christ. What Paul is saying here is if you're constantly running after human approval, you are a slave. 
If you get your self-esteem and your self-worth and your impression of yourself based solely on other people, you will spend your whole life chasing after likes and retweets and thumbs-ups and approval and subscribers and all these things that we follow. You will be a slave to popular culture. You will be a slave to conventional wisdom. You will be a slave to the latest trends and ideas. But you will not be free. If, on the other hand, you are energized by the gospel of Jesus Christ, if you are energized by God's approval of you, then you're free. There's nothing to earn because you do not have to earn God's approval. Jesus earned God's approval and he gave it to you. It belongs to you the moment you believe. All you have to do is take it. All you have to do is say, Amen, I believe. Do you see the paradox? Once we become slaves to Jesus, Jesus sets us free. Have you said amen to Jesus? Have you said amen to the gospel of Jesus Christ? We live in a world where so many people are running after other sources of identity and purpose and meaning. And so many of us have spent years of our lives running after those very, very same things. And yet we have in Christ, we have in the gospel, everything we need. Do you believe it? Let's go to God in prayer. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, We thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Simple and yet so profound. So elegant. So glorious. We pray, Lord God, that by your spirit, you would impress the realities of the gospel on our hearts and that we would see that we have in you, Lord Jesus, everything that we need. Hear our prayer, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.